be in the house of the Lord today. Man, appreciate Brother Joey and Sister Stephanie and their ministry on Thursday night. Amen. The book of Ephesians chapter 1. The book of Ephesians chapter 1. Amen. You know, I've no surprise to you, sort of had marriage on the mind. And, uh, you know, the Lord, the Lord takes us, as was said earlier, Brother Lewis touched briefly, the Lord takes us through seasons. He controls the seasons of life. And uh, when you understand that and you have a faith in that, that God controls the seasons, you don't resist and fight the seasons so much. But you seek to allow the season to have its work in your life and in mine. I don't know why it takes a little bit of years to learn that. You know, they, they plant trees throughout these valleys to produce fruit, but, you know, they don't take fruit off of them the first year. Some I've heard, I can't remember, I'll get myself in trouble because we have people in here that know better. But some I'm told that they don't take fruit off of till the third year. I don't know what kind of tree that is or which fruit that is, but I've heard different ones, different years they, before they'll ever take fruit or fruit will be of any value. It may produce some fruit, but, you know, it's not really valuable yet. And maybe that's how it is with us as people. We produce fruit at a young age, but... We still sort of fight the seasons a little bit while we're getting roots. We resist some seasons. Ah, oh, it's so cold. Not understanding the process of seasons until we've gone through a few. And then it's like, a, you know what? Maybe I don't need to fight this so much. I just need to let the Lord who's in control of the seasons have his work. Amen. And so, uh, you know, in seasons, we're not going to talk about seasons, I don't think, too much this morning, but. In seasons, there are, there are people that come in and go from our lives. Someone once said, matter of fact, someone, when my wife and I were returning back here from Arkansas, somebody sat down and wrote us a letter, and they made this statement. They said, there are people that come into your life for a moment. There are people that come into your life for seasons, and there are people that come into your life for a lifetime. And they were being very gracious and kind and they said, we had hoped that you were a lifetime, but we've come to accept that you and your wife were but a season. And so it is with each of our lives. There are people that will come and that will go. Some will be a moment. Some will be a season. Some will be a lifetime. God chooses that. God chooses that. But every God-ordained relationship Every God-ordained relationship teaches us something more about Him. I'm learning this. Every God-ordained relationship that's brought into your life will not only strengthen you and develop you, but it will teach you more about Him. I don't have time to go into all that today, but just let that settle in your spirit. And so I'm, I'm watching. Like I said, I got marriage on the mind. Uh, I'm watching a new relationship, right, in my family now that my son has just gotten married. <clears throat> and I'm thinking about the things God's dealing with me about because of this new relationship. 
And so you're going to get some of that today. Uh, but I think the Lord's not just talking to me. I think he'd like to talk to us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 3. I know it's surprising to none of you that I'm in Ephesians still. We're just sort of stuck here. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this verse. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Aren't you think that's almost shouting words right there? Really, that's almost shouting words. That doesn't say he will bless us. This is already a done deal. This is already done. He has blessed us, and he didn't bless us with some spiritual blessings. He has already blessed us with all spiritual. Now, see, we get frustrated by that verse sometimes, or we frustrate God with that verse sometimes, because we're not thinking about spiritual blessings. We're thinking about earthly things that we call blessings. And we get our focus on earthly things, and therefore, we miss the fact that he has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings. It's just a matter of whether we're going to receive what he's already blessed us with or not. In heavenly places in Christ. Keep going. Verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame. I want you to notice those words right there. Holy and without blame. He chose you and he chose me before he formed the world. He chose you and I. And he chose us in a certain way. He already had an end in mind when he chose us. And the way he envisioned us when he chose us is that we would be holy and that we would be without blame in him, in love. Got it? That's how he chose us. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Aren't you thankful for that today? I felt like I had to read Paul's whole sentence from verse 3 to 6 there. It's sort of tough to read Paul because you get, sometimes I feel like I can't stop mid-sentence. I have to read the whole sentence. So. He writes long sentences. So go over to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25. Do you believe he chose you? Really, do you believe he chose you? I believe he did. I really do. I believe personally for myself, but I also believe personally and individually for every one of you and for us collectively. I believe with every fiber of my spirit and being, he chose us. That's a powerful thing. Now, verse 25, husbands, love your wives, 
Even as Christ also loved the church. Aren't you thankful for that? He loved the church. How much? He gave himself for it. Why did he give himself for the church? Verse number 26. So that he might sanctify and cleanse it. He understood that the church couldn't be sanctified and cleansed if he didn't give himself for it. So he gave himself in order to... He did this for you and for me, if you believe you're in the church, to sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Why did he do that? So that he might present it to himself. I want you to just pause right here just a second before we read just a little bit further. Told you marriage is on my mind, and so you're going to hear about it a little bit this morning. Now, we had this deal in the ceremony the other day, and it happened in mine. It happened in many of yours. There is this process that takes place in a marriage where the father of the bride brings her down the aisle. Yes? And presents her to the one that she is espoused to. Yes? It's usually where the officiant, the minister says, who gives this woman to marry this man? And traditionally what is said is her mother and I, right? The father gives the bride. The father presents the bride to the groom. Yes? Look at that. The Lord did all this so that he... Now, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, yes? Because he says that he sanctify it and cleanse it by the washing. But he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, yes? But what he says is that he, who's he? Okay, we're on the same page. I want to make sure you're listening. That he might do what? Ha, some of you are already ahead of me. The father is presenting the bride to the son. Yes? I'm just letting that settle in your spirit. Some of you get more revelation right now. I'm just giving you another verse that validates what the truth of the word of God is. There's only one. That he might present it to himself. Well, it's the Father that does the presenting. But he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Father, here's what's happening. One God. Here's the church presenting. Here's the Son. The one God is preparing, presenting, and then receiving. Aren't you thankful for that? Praise God. Praise God. Now, that he might present it to himself. How? See, he already has a predetermined end in mind. He wants to present. You know, if I was, I am not at present, nor do I have any plans in the short term. I am not presenting my daughter to anyone. <laughs> there will be a time, I'm sure, should the Lord tarry and should he choose. And. You know, it's something to, you know, weddings rarely, if ever, start on time. Anybody notice that? Yeah. My wife and I went to a wedding one time, true story. And 
you know, I expect them to usually start 5, 10, 15, 20, maybe even a half an hour late. I get it. If they say the wedding's this time, just plan. It's not going to start at that time, very rarely. But it, I guess it can. But anyway, we went to a wedding one time, and it was more than an hour. I think it was like an hour and a half almost until that thing started. The only reason I didn't leave is because I knew it would offend the person that I had come for. That was the only thing that kept me. It was somebody that worked for me at the time. And I thought, man, if they walk through and I'm not there, they will know. And so I thought, we got to stay, and we just endured. What were we waiting on? Why do weddings not start on time? Everybody's scared to say it. <laughs> the bride, right? Everybody's waiting for the bride. Why are they waiting? Because the bride decides, I'm not ready yet. I need everything to be perfect. I, I, need, I need the hair to be right in the right. I'm not, I'm not making light of this. You understand. I'm, I'm not diminishing this or making light or terror. They're, the bride needs every hair to be right. They, they want to look one more time. The dress needs to be right. The bouquet needs to be right. Everything, everything needs to be in order. Is every, are my shoes? Okay. All right. Did I, every, and it, everything needs to be right. They spend weeks, maybe even yay, months preparing but this day, every and nobody says go until the bride says she's ready. But what a beautiful thing that here, the Lord Jesus Christ has a predetermined end of what his bride will look like. And how the bride will appear when she is presented to him. And he's going to present to himself a bride that is a glorious church. It is one that does not have a spot. It does not have a wrinkle. Now, it's interesting. How many of you have read that before about a wrinkle and think, man, the clothes are perfect. Everything's ironed and pressed. That's not what it means. Study it. Read that out. He's actually talking about like more often that word that's used there is like a wrinkle in the face or in the skin. Now, to have a bride that is of complexion with perfect skin without... Because, right, he's going to look upon her face. And so here, the writer, the Apostle Paul, to the church at Ephesus is saying, how he views you. He sees no spot in your garments. He sees a face that is fresh and clean and without a wrinkle in the skin. He's painting a beautiful picture. Or any such thing. Why would he do it? That it should be holy and without Blemish. Now, you remember what we just read in chapter 1. Paul said to them that it would be holy and without blame. And here he is again describing this church that's prepared for the Lord that says holy and without blemish. And that's how he's going to prepare it. And that's how he's going to present it. Now, skip down to verse 30. In the same chapter... We are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. Verse 31. For this cause, and now Paul, just like Jesus did in Matthew, Paul is quoting Genesis chapter 2. 
And Paul says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Next verse. Be therefore followers of God, dear children. We skip to the next chapter. Oh, we went back to verse 1. I'm like, that's not the next verse. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Christ and the church. Now, here's the challenge we face this morning. I know that was a little bit of a foundation. The challenge we face oftentimes is we see and we know the church he's coming for. He makes it very clear. And the problem or the challenge with you and I walking and living day by day is... I know my faults. I see my blemishes. I see my shortcomings. I see these things. And and I read these words and the adversary would twist the word of God. And the adversary would bombard the mind and say, how are you holy and without blame? How are you without spot or wrinkle? How are you holy and without blemish? And paints this idea, oh my goodness. And what happens if I'm not careful, I get pressed into performing for the groom. And I try to be something I'm not in order to impress the groom who in this reality knows who I am already. And I miss the fact of the word of God that he it is that prepares the bride. He it is that's going to present the bride to himself. He it is that makes the bride holy and without blame and without blemish. You and I can't do this for ourselves. You and I can't make ourselves ready. We definitely have responsibility. Whom we love, we keep His commandments. We love Him, so we pursue after Him. We love Him, so we seek to please Him. But there's nothing in my humanity or yours that can truly prepare myself for this groom. And He knew that from the beginning when He said, I'm going to make them my own. And so he robed himself in flesh, came and shed his blood. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 20. Watch what Paul said to the church at Colossae. Colossians 1 verse 20. And having made peace. This is talking about the Lord Jesus. Having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself By him, I say. See, Paul was emphasizing this in his letter. He wanted to make sure they understood. By him, not by you, not by some other means. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, verse 21. And you, everybody say me. That's us. You that were sometime alienated. You know what it means to be alienated, right? To be separated from, to be removed from, unable to get to. You were alienated and you were enemies in your mind by wicked works. That doesn't sound like holy and without blame. Yet now hath he reconciled by him. Yet now hath he reconciled. In the body of his flesh through death. 
Why would he do that? To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. I was watching that young lady walk down the aisle on Friday night. And I thought, my goodness, she's beautiful. Granted, I'm sure I was biased, but she was beautiful. She is. And I don't know, weddings just do it to me, Bobby. My mind went back 31 and a half years. I remember Sister Stephanie, the doors opening at the back of the church. My wife standing there in all of her glory. Splendor and beauty. She was perfect. And I was all good until the doors opened. It was all fine. I was composed. I had it together, you know. I thought I was all that in my fancy white suit back in the day. Yeah, don't do that. Times change. I did not have a ruffly shirt. <laughs> Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, it, but I, I didn't go there. I was feeling like all together, all composed. And man, I'm telling you, when those doors opened and I saw her, like every range and flood of emotion rose to the surface. I thought, wow. The words take my breath away. I don't know how much time she'd spent preparing herself. Can you imagine if those doors were open and she walked in and she was just in her early morning bathrobe and had some curlers on? <laughs> Showstopper for sure. <laughs> or she, she looked like she'd been working outside and her hair was all disheveled and, you know, she just, you know, maybe she had on her wedding dress, but it, you know, there was some big coffee spill down the front of it and you know her hair was half done and can you imagine what I'd have thought standing up there like oof, oof. <laughs> true story why I had an expectation now now when the doors opened and I saw her it far blew away my expectations. But I had an expectation that when I did see her, that I would see her arrayed in beauty, that I would see her clothed in white. I'd have been shocked if she'd have walked in in a black dress. I had a vision in mind. Now, granted, the vision I had was not as great and beautiful and glorious as what stepped through those doors that day. But I had a pretty high vision in my mind. I had a picture determined. The scriptures that we've looked at today tells us God has a predetermined picture of what his bride looks like. He has a predetermined picture of her vesture. He has a predetermined picture of her face. He has a predetermined picture 
the picture of how she'll be robed. He has this predetermined idea of how she'll look when she is presented to him. And he is so vested in her that he says, I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm going to lay down my life to pay the price for her to be arrayed the way I envision her. She's not able to prepare herself as great as the vision I have of her. She is not able to make herself as beautiful, as lovely, as perfect as I have seen her in my spirit when I formed her before the world began. And therefore, I will come. I will die and shed my blood so that she will be holy and unblameable when she is presented to me. I'm telling you he is vested in your life he has such a vision of his bride that will one day become all his but watch we got to keep ourselves notice that verse that's there on the screen or in your bible He did all this through his death in order to present you and I holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. How he views us, not how everybody else views us, how he views us. But notice there's a colon right there. That tells us that the Apostle Paul is going to explain this a little further to the church at Colossae. So he explains a little further, and he starts verse 23 with this big word, if. Now it comes to our responsibility. If you continue in the faith. See, some want to stop at verse 22 and say, you know what? I'm predestined. He chose me before the foundation of the world, and that's all true. But I have a responsibility as a bride when he's presented, when I'm presented to him. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. We have a responsibility as a bride that is waiting for the groom to stay rooted and grounded in the faith. We have, what I'm telling you, in the last days, the scripture says, men will heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. They'll have a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power thereof. Paul was very clear. He said, from such, turn away. Why? Why are you turning away? Because you're a bride that has a responsibility to stay rooted and grounded in the faith. Don't just give your ear to every voice that sounds like a spiritual voice because there are many voices in the world and none of them are without signification, Paul said in 1 Corinthians. So we need to recognize, hold on, I have to stay rooted and grounded. I don't just turn looking left and right because I don't want to be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Why? Because a groom's coming. A groom's coming. A groom is coming. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, and we'll start with verse 1. And Jesus answered 
And he spake to them again by parables. And watch what he said. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king which made a marriage for his son. I've never read that that way before. Go back to that verse for just a second. He made a marriage for his son. You know what that sounds like to me? A prearranged marriage. Some people say, I would never agree to a prearranged marriage. I felt all the hearts of single people say, oh. <laughs> oh, no. But guess what? When you're born into the church, you're agreeing to a prearranged marriage. Which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they wouldn't come. I wonder how the king felt about that. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell them that are bidden, behold, I prepare. I want you to hear the cry of the king. There's an urgency. He's made a marriage for his son and he's wanting people to come. He sent servants, bid them to come, bid them to come. This is for my son. I want them to be there, bid them to come. So they didn't respond. And so he sent more servants again. And he said, I prepared a dinner. My oxen, my fatland, they're killed. It's almost time. All things are ready. All things are ready. Come to the marriage. Watch verse 5. But they made light of it. You want to talk about a slap in the face. They made light of it. What did they do? Well, they went their ways. One went to his farm. Another one went to his merchandise or to his business. And the remnant, those that hadn't made a decision yet, they actually took the king's servants and they entreated them spitefully, and they slew them. The audacity. The audacity. What is this talking about here? I'll tell you what it's talking about. It's talking about Israel. The king sent his servants, the law and the prophets. It's what Stephen was saying in Acts chapter 7. You've slain all the prophets. That's what he's talking about. You slew them. I sent my servants to try to bid you to come. But when the prophet came, you slew them. When I sent a messenger, you slew them. The king was sending. I want you to come. You're bidden to the marriage. You're the chosen ones for the marriage. You're the ch but because you spitefully entreated the prophets, because you slew them, watch the next verse, verse 7. But when the king heard this, he was angry, wroth. He sent forth, not his servants, his armies. And he destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. It happened. Jerusalem, 70 A.D. Verse 8. Now we should be really excited about this verse. Because then he said to his servants... The wedding's ready. Now, I don't know the exact date. All you Bible students and scholars. Got this master's up here. I'll lean in on her real quick. Thank God for students of the word. 
I don't know when this was written, but Jesus right here is already declaring the wedding is ready. The wedding is ready. You want to talk about waiting a long time for it to start? It's ready. The wedding's ready. One problem. The ones that were bidden weren't worthy. Because of their actions when the servants came and invited them. So what did he do? Because the wedding's ready. Next verse. Go ye therefore the highways, and as many as you shall find, bid them to the marriage. Verse 10. So the servants went out into the highways and gathered together all, as many as they found. They got bad and they got good. And the wedding was furnished. Now, don't get offended. But that bad and that good and all that that they went and got, that's us. In case you didn't know. You're like, (laughs) that's you. That's me right there. The servants of the Lord went. That's when the door opened to the Gentiles. Go get some. Why? Because the wedding's ready. Ready. The groom's been waiting. How long has he been waiting? It's been in the mind of the groom. You know, somebody said, I, I, was, I was in Italy a few years ago, and a friend of mine that's now married, he wasn't then when I first went and met him, but he was engaged. He was engaged to be married. And so I said, Daniele, how long have you been engaged? He said, seven years so far. I was like, seven years? I, I, about, it, it, I couldn't hide the expression on my face. <laughs> you know, I was like, seven years? Oh, yeah, we have long because I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to do this and I have to do that before her dad will give her to me in marriage. I'm like, well, maybe I like that. <laughs> Hold on a minute. <laughs> Started thinking about my daughter. I'm like, hmm, let's see. my poor daughter and so some of you other dads got girls you're like hey let's talk about that after service so he was like seven years so far I think it was two more years before they got married so nine year engagement you want to talk about a groom that had been waiting a while I cannot imagine a nine-year engagement. How long has the Lord been waiting? He formed us in Him before the foundation of the world. And He said here, the marriage is ready. It's the long-suffering. He's waiting for his bride. He's waiting for his bride. I don't know. I can, these last couple days when I go to a place of prayer, I see the waiting groom who gave himself to prepare the church, the bride. He's got this long engagement. The marriage is ready. The marriage is ready. 
We need that to sink into our spirit today. The marriage is ready. And so if you have been washed in the blood and made ready, if you've been cleansed by the spirit, buried in the water in Jesus' name, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, what must I do? I must become workers with the other servants that says, go into the highways and byways. Compel them to come in. And I must, as we read in Colossians, I must stay rooted and grounded in the faith because I don't know when. But the groom's coming. We're not going to read it today, but go read Matthew 25, the ten virgins. The groom's coming. And he's coming for those whose lamps are trimmed and burning. You understand in Matthew 25, all of them had oil in their lamps originally. They all started there. But the five who ran out of oil, I just got to think they're like those that Paul was warning about in Colossians. If you continue in the faith, rooted and grounded in him. They all were once there, but some of them didn't stay rooted and grounded. They didn't have oil left. So we got to know the wedding's ready. The wedding's ready. What verse are we on? Ten. But watch. So he said, get all the bad and good. That's us. All the Gentiles. But he didn't stop there. The wedding was furnished with guests, 11. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there was a man which had not on a wedding garment. He said to him, Friend, how did you come in hither not having a wedding garment? He was speechless. Now, we've read these verses where we started back in Ephesians. Would the king expect that this guest would have got his own wedding garment and prepared himself? Or did the king make provision so that the guest would be properly attired and prepared? Would the king have said, okay, I'm inviting you, you figure out how you get there? Or we'd have said, this is the dress code, if you'll allow me that term because of this. This is the garment I expect you to be wearing when you come. You got to know if he was telling them to go into the highways and the byways and get the good and the bad, he knew there are some of them people he's going to get. They're not going to be able to attire themselves. I'm going to have to have things prepared for them. As sure as he made the way for you and I to be prepared as the bride. So this one guest who was not properly attired had somewhere along the way made the decision, it doesn't really matter what condition my life is in when he comes. Just as long as I'm there. Well, apparently it does matter. You can be there and watch. Verse number 13. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called. 
the tragedy of being so close. They were right there in the room. The wedding was ready. The marriage was about to take place. They were bidden by the king's servants. They had made their way, but they took no regard for the condition. I'm not talking about the outward. I'm talking about the inward. They took no, they took no concern for the preparation of themselves when they had been invited. Is there anything more frustrating than inviting people to something that's fancy and formal and somebody show up in their jeans and a t-shirt and you're like, man, what are you doing? I told you. And you're trying, you don't want to be the bad guy. You don't. I, at work, uh, where I work, we have dress codes. Talking about preparing ourselves. And one of the hardest things when I was still leading in the, in the branch environment was when somebody would come in and they would make a decision not to honor the guidelines we'd given them. And I would say, young man, young lady, I'm going to pay you, but you need to go home and change and come back. Anybody ever had to do that? No? Okay. I have more than once. We're in an environment. Well, they had, the, they had the ability to go change and come back. At this marriage, you don't get that opportunity. We have to prepare ourselves. We got to continue in the faith. Now watch, I'm finishing. Revelation chapter 19. The wedding's ready. I hear those words of the Lord ringing clear. The wedding is ready. The wedding is ready. The wedding is ready. We are not waiting on him. I think it was quoted or at least referenced on Thursday night. But it stays in my spirit. The long suffering of the Lord is salvation to us. It's the long-suffering of the Lord. How long is the groom willing to wait? He has a picture of a bride. He's paid the price for the preparation of the bride to be without blemish, without spot, a glorious church. He paid for all of that. And so it's the long-suffering of the Lord. He's going, I'm going to wait a little longer. I'm going to wait a little longer. I'm going to wait a little longer. I know what I've prepared for myself. I know what I want to present to myself. I'm waiting a little longer, but the wedding's ready. The wedding's ready. Revelation 19. Why don't you stand with me today? Verse number 4. And the four and the twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne. And this is what they said. Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne. Listen to what the voice out of the throne said. Praise our God, all ye his servants, and you that fear him, both small and great. 
And I heard, as it were, a great multitude. And as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thunderings. Can you imagine this picture? This great God. And they were all saying, Hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Look at the next verse. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife, she's not the bride anymore. And his wife hath made herself ready. She's made her. I'm telling you, when we are presented to him and it's done, there is thunderings and rejoicing and many voices. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why? His wife has made herself ready and to her to her to her to her to the wife to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white why for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints It's not your righteousness. It's not my righteousness. Oh, that day it's called thy righteousness. Because we're with him there. But here, he says, I have a rope. And you've come to me dirty. But I'll clean you and wash you with water in the word. And then I'm going to put on you the best robe. I'd like to robe you with my righteousness because your righteousness is filthy rags and I have a predetermined end of how my bride will be arrayed and she will be arrayed in fine linen. It will be clean and white and the fine linen is righteousness of saints. How does he know what it's going to look like? Because it was in his mind from the foundation of the world. I'm telling you what. That is not a quiet wedding. There is thunderings. Those aren't negative thunderings. There is joy. Verse 7. We've got to read it again. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give honor to who? You know, usually at the wedding. It's all about the bride. But on this day, it's all about him. On this day, it's all about him. See, he lets the glory be on the bride so that people will want to be a part of the bride. But on this day, at the marriage, it's all about him. And so we're glad and rejoice. We give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. To her was granted she should be arrayed. We read the righteousness of saints. Verse 9. And he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. 
And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Would you lift your heart to the Lord right now? Are you ready? Are you ready? It's nothing you can do yourself, but he's paid the price to robe you. He's paid the price to wash you. He's paid the price to cleanse you. He's paid the price to array you in fine linen, the righteousness of the saints. Come on, there's a marriage that's going to take place. The wedding's ready, but the groom is patiently waiting. The long-suffering of the groom. Come on, I'm opening this altar to you today. Maybe you'd like to find a place of prayer and talk to the Lord. Maybe you'd like to talk to the one to whom you are espoused. Maybe you'd like to talk to him today and let him just one more time wash you with the water and the word. Wash your heart, your mind, and your spirit anew. Maybe he'd like to put into your spirit a fresh glimpse, a a fresh glimpse of what he has revealed in his word. That a wedding is ready. Come on, we're not just marking time down here. We're not just going by and getting through. I'm telling you, there is a wedding that's ready. And one day the wedding trumpet will sound. And the scripture declares to me that God himself will blow the trumpet. There's an appointed time. I want to be in that number of which is declared. A wife that's made herself ready. I want it to be said of you and I. We continued in the faith. We were rooted and grounded. 